So good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning. So like, like Katie said, my name is Kyle. I'm the youth pastor uh, here at church. And I know some of you are already thinking, like, dang, we came on the Sunday in the summer where the youth pastor is talking. That's, uh, that's a bit of an L. But don't worry. <laughs> Bear with me. Bear with me. We'll have a good morning. There's, there's lots to go through. And I think it's going to be fun. And as most of you know, or if you're new, we're going through the book of Colossians. And so we just finished chapter one last week, and we're going into chapter two. And this week, uh, we'll take up all of chapter two. And so there's a lot to cover, um, a lot of ground, but it's going to be fun. And I hope at the end, you have something to take away with you. Now, I'd like to start by saying that I'm not, um, I'm not just dumb. You might be saying, why are you wearing jeans and a hoodie in the middle of, uh, or at the end of July? And it's because this past week I was up north at Camp Quasson, where some of you will know Matt Wilkinson, and he's the director there. And so I was up there doing a, a pastoral training uh, session, and it was lots of fun. But there was this one moment that was terrifying. And I was sitting on the dock, reading my Bible in the morning. So peaceful, so nice. It's like everything you dream of, just a time away from the city, looking at this beautiful view of the lake, time with God, and then the breakfast bell rings, so I pack everything up, and I turn around to go back, and then I don't know if they have the, the picture, but I see this on the dock, and I almost stepped on it. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I, I screamed like any self-respecting adult would. Like, if you're, if you're saying you wouldn't scream, I don't buy it one bit. And I did the awkward, like, tippy-toe across the, across the dock. It was terrifying. And this thing was big. This was, this was no garden snake. This was like a massive, this thing was like that thick around. Okay, that's terrifying. And then, so I scream, run away, and this snake, like, just, like, flops down under the dock, and I'm like, Ugh, I'm never going swimming again. And I turn back, and this snake, just like as quickly as it left, it squirmed back up and just started chilling on the dock again. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying. And so, you know, I talked to Matt, and he was like, I've, I've never seen like a, a snake like that at camp. And I was like, I don't know, I don't, I don't buy it. Um, but today, what I want to talk about is in our lives and in our faith, what happens when we have these, these snakes uh, and they slither up and come onto our docks or our faith. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so we have a large uh, chunk of scripture to go through, and we're going to follow what Paul is saying. And so the first chapter of Colossians that we've been going through, it's a lot about the deity of God, and so how Jesus is above, is above everything, and he reigns supreme, and Paul is, is basically just telling them, he's like, Jesus is above all, but we don't really figure out too much about what the church is facing, and in this chapter, we see a lot of, here's actually what this church was going through, and some of the things that were happening, which is why Paul was writing this letter, and it explains lots of what he started with in the first chapter. And so we, we start in verse, uh, verse 5 or verse 6 and 7, and then we see his thesis statement for 
the next passage. And so this is like where he's saying, this is everything I want for you. This is what I'm going to explain is my hope for you. And he says this, so then just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So again, this is him saying, here's what I want for you as a church. All of you individually, but also collectively, my hope is that you do these things. And he uses these four words or four metaphors to describe how he wants the believers to be. And he starts with, he says, I want you to be rooted. I want you to be built up and strengthened and then get to a place of overflowing. And this is how your, your faith should progress. You know, this is, you start getting, getting your roots, and then you're built up, you're strengthened, and get to a place of overflowing. And it's like a tree, if you think of it, where our faith is like this tree, and it starts very small, very tiny, but the roots grow deep, and they start, um, they start growing bigger. And so you might not see a lot of growth at the top, but the roots are going down into the soil and getting a firm grasp, so that it can then be built up, and the tree grows and gets bigger. It's strengthened. It gets stronger. And then eventually, it produces flowers or fruit or goodness, and it's able to help others. And I enjoy walking through nature and seeing a bunch of trees. If it's just dead trees, that's pretty depressing. But if it's trees that are full of life when they're full bloom, that is the best. And... I have, I have a story of the opposite of this, where I got into house plants about two years ago, and became, I became a plant dad, and I tried my best to take good care of them. I had like six plants at the highest, and that number has slowly gone down, as you, you can imagine why. Um, there was one plant I bought, and it was beautiful, lovely plant, and at first, it was producing so many good leaves. And then I moved away from where I was living and brought that plant with me, and it got way less light than it got before. And I tried my best. I kept watering it. I was, like, speaking words of encouragement over it. I was like, you can do this. You can do this. And, you know, it did fine. It held on. But then I moved again. And this time I moved to a basement apartment that is very cold, very dark, and it might get 30 it might get 30 minutes of indirect sunlight a day. And I was like, oh, dang. I don't know if I prepared my plant properly for this. And so, you know, one day it's droopy, and so I put some popsicle sticks around it and tie it with some twine. And it, it looks good again, and I'm like, whew, saved it. I'm the best plant dad ever. And then a few days later, I come home. It's just completely flopped on the table. And I was like, oh, no, I can, I can fix this. And I pick up the plant, and it had just snapped off right, right where it gets out from the soil. And I was like, dang, I did, not do, I did not do a good job of this. And I think there might have been some overwatering at some point, but it doesn't fit the analogy. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to ignore that part. But obviously, my plant was not strong enough. It might have been rooted, it might have grown up a bit, but it wasn't strong enough to withstand all the changes I threw at it. And so Paul wants us to grow up to be strong in our faith and to be overflowing so a point where things can, can change in our lives. We could move, we could lose people, we could change churches, but we'd be able to stay strong in our faith and stay strong in Jesus. So that's what Paul wants. But then we'll see throughout the passage, Paul says, actually, there are some things uh, that mess with this. 
And so he says this in verse 8, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of the world, rather than on Christ. And so this is like where you see a sign that says, don't do this, and you, you wonder, what has someone done in the past to, to make that a rule? Like, I was looking up weird laws, and there's one law that says it's illegal to use water guns on New Year's in Cambodia. And I was like, what has someone done with a water gun on New Year's in Cambodia that they were like, no, we can't have it anymore. No more of this. And so whenever you see something like this in the Bible, no, this isn't random. This isn't Paul saying, I think you should just be aware of this. No, this is actually something people are facing. This is something that's happened to people that the church knows or that have, are in the church. And so he says, don't, take, don't get taken captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so Paul calls this, this philosophy that's going around wrong. And for all you philosophy majors in the room or people who love that, Paul isn't saying all philosophy is bad. Back then, philosophy would have been known as just a general framework of thinking. And so there were philosophies about lots of things. And so this would have been a particular religious philosophy that was going around. And he says three things about it. He says that this is a philosophy that's, or this is a religious framework that's from man and not God. This isn't rooted in scripture. It's about forces of this world besides God. And it's deceptive and hollow. If you look behind the curtain, there's nothing there. It's all lies. You don't want to be taken in by it. But it looks nice on the outside. And obviously the people who are spreading this, they sound good, they sound smart, they sound wise, but there's nothing to it. And I know we can all think of people who have said things to us or podcasts we've listened to or shows we've watched or people who say, hey, read this book. And it, it goes into this where we say, okay, this sounds nice, but it's from man and not God. And it's, it's hollow and deceptive. It can take you in. And so now we have what Paul wants from us. And he says, okay, I want you to be rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing. And he says, here's the problem, which is this, this religious framework that doesn't fit. And so then he goes into this section of scripture to fix this. And this is what it says. I'll, I'll read it for you. It says, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and, con and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And this is a very long section of scripture that I just read at you. Uh, and so I'll, I'll break it down so, so you can, it can help to help you swallow it. Um, but what Paul is saying here is he's saying, okay, here's this bad religious framework. Here's this philosophy I don't want you to follow. And here's how you're going to fight it. But 
normally, when we would be encountered with lies, what we would first say is, actually, here's how I'm going to discredit what you're saying. If I say to someone, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan, lots of people would be like, no way, that's a lie. Here's why. Has Michael Jordan ever lost a championship? No, blah, blah, blah. All these things. And you could do it with a lot, a lot of arguments. You take something and then you try to dismantle it. But see how Paul doesn't actually dismantle it. He doesn't say anything about this, this philosophy people were falling into. All he talks about is Jesus. All he says is, okay, you have started to believe this thing. Before you get any further, let me tell you what Jesus has done for you. And this is, this is amazing. Like, this is beautiful theology right here. This is so rich. It's almost like poetry in some ways. And there are some really key thoughts that I want us to look at. The first is that he says, in Christ you have been brought to fullness. What a beautiful thing to say where he says he's looking at a church that some people are starting to fall into this way of thinking, do you know what? I need more than just Jesus to satisfy my heart or to allow God to be satisfied with me. I need more than what people say. They say you just need Jesus, but no, I know I need to do more than they're letting in. But Paul says, no, you are full in Christ. God has filled you with that. And he says, Jesus is the fullness of God, and that he has now filled you. There's nothing we could want. There's nothing more we could get. God doesn't have anything more to give us than what he already has, which is his son who died for us. And that's what Paul's telling them. He's saying, actually, you don't need anything else. You have Jesus. And does that mean we're perfect? No. No, it doesn't. It's this mystery of the Christian life where we have Jesus inside of us. We still have our choices. We still turn away. We can still make mistakes, but we have everything we need to be right with God right inside of us. So in Christ, we are brought to fullness. It is only in Christ. And I'd like to share a metaphor to explain this. I don't know who who here is into superhero movies. Okay, just put your hand. Don't be ashamed. Okay, I know not all of them are great. I love them too. So there's there's a superhero from D.C. who I really love, and his name is Shazam. And they've, they've come out, I know you're laughing because you're like, I heard those movies sucked, but I'm telling you, the comics, they're awesome. <laughs> they're so cool. He's a great superhero. Um, we can argue about that later, and I'll dismantle your whole argument, but not right now. And so this superhero, Shazam, his, his name is Billy Batson, and he's this little kid. I forgot how old he is, like 11 or 12. And one day, he gets the powers from this wizard um, where if he says the word Shazam, he becomes this man who has, like, the strength of some cool dude, the speed of some other dude, and his name's a whole acronym. It sounds way cooler than I'm, than I'm letting on. Um, and he is this awesome character. But in the comics, you find out that actually... Billy Batson, this little boy, when he becomes Shazam, it's not one and the same. He, he doesn't just get, like, completely transformed, but he still exists in there, and Shazam always exists in him. They're just one and the same, but they're also separate. You could think of the same if you're a Marvel fan. You could think of it's the same as the Incredible Hulk, where there's Bruce Banner and there's the Hulk, and the Banner turns into the Hulk, but he also keeps his personality. And at some points in the movies, you, you almost see them fighting 
amongst each other, but they're still one and the same. The fullness of the Hulk lives in him. The fullness of Shazam lives in Billy Batson. And that's what it's like having Jesus in us. We have a superhero in us, except I'm still me. And that's the mystery of the gospel that's beautiful. And so after he talks about this fullness, he goes through three metaphors which help us to understand our faith and our relationship to Jesus. The first is circumcision, and then baptism, and the last is legal debt forgiveness. And so we can go into circumcision. I, I kind of hate how much the Bible talks about circumcision. It's like an awkward thing to say up front, especially as a youth pastor. It's one of those things I'm like, I don't think I could ever say this in front of teenage boys. Like it would just, um, yeah, it would not work out very well. And so it's kind of an awkward metaphor. But back then, it would have been incredibly potent because what it was was it was a symbol that God actually gave the Israelites, the Jewish people, to set them apart. And it was a way to outwardly show this, this almost cleansing, this putting off of the flesh and the world and saying, that's not us. But also, it represented this inner cleansing that God did in us, saying, I want to set you apart, and I'm going to put you aside for me. And so Paul is now ascribing this to us, and he's saying, actually, God has has circumcised you. He has cleaned you. He has set you apart. He's taken off all the, the sin and the filth that you were in. He's taken that, put it aside, and he has made you new. And so even though it can be this awkward metaphor for us, back then, it would have meant this incredibly beautiful thing, especially because lots of the believers in, in the church wouldn't have been Jewish. And they're like, actually, that's something that, that we, weren't, we weren't given, we weren't allowed to do. And now he's saying, but some of the Jewish people were saying, you need this. If you want to be a Christian, you actually need this. And Paul is saying, no, 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 you don't need this. Jesus has done that for you. You don't need the, the outward symbol of this. You need what Jesus has done in, in your heart. And then he goes into baptism, and he, and he talks about how we've gone under, and we've died with Jesus, and he pulls us back out for new life. That's what baptism is all about, is new life. It's also this cleansing. And baptism wasn't actually invented by Jesus. There's a reason that John was baptizing people before Jesus even started his ministry. And because back then it represented this going under, washing away the past, washing away your sin, coming up, and you were new to God. And it was this turning point of saying, okay, I am going to start thinking fresh. And that's why Jesus kind of co-opted it and now he says, actually, you, you don't need to do that again and again and again like they were doing. You need this once, and I can give that to you. And Paul says, when you become a believer and you get baptized, you get baptized by Jesus cleaning you. And then he talks about uh, this legal debt forgiveness and how our sins put us in debt and how Jesus takes that debt and he nails it to the cross. I love that imagery. Isn't that beautiful? It's like you can almost imagine this, just a slip of paper it says, here's how much you owe. And Jesus taking that and says, you're not paying that. I got this. And it dies with him. As he's dying, so are our sins. They're going down with him. But Jesus comes back. Our sin doesn't. And so we are set apart. This is what Paul's talking about. And so again, he's battling this, this religious framework that says, you need to do more. And he's saying, actually, Jesus has done enough. You don't need to do anything. If he says anything about what we need to do, it's we need to have faith. And we need to believe 
that Jesus has done this. And I know sometimes it's difficult because we like doing. And that's the beautiful thing is all of this is on Jesus. None of this is on us. Like there is no burden on our shoulders to even get better. I know lots of people come to church and it's like, oh, I need to improve. I can't do this. Like I can't come to church hungover. That's terrible. Come to church. Jesus loves you no matter what. Like it doesn't matter. He's already paid for everything you've ever done. Are there things that, that you could improve on and that Jesus wants you to improve on? Yes. Do you need to do that for him to love you? Absolutely not. He loves you as much as he always will right now. And so I know that was a lot of theology. And so I want to nail it down into three points that we, can, that we can take away. And this is that Jesus is above everything and everyone. There is no one who can say something and it holds weight unless they back it up with what Jesus said. Also, it's tempting to look for new ideas and to say, hey, someone's coming along with this, but actually, we only need what Jesus said. That is what we should, we should come with. If someone has this new idea and they say, actually, no, we need something else besides that, say, no, that's not, that's not from Jesus. We don't need that. Even though our culture says new is better, in this case, it's really not. We have what Jesus said. That is enough. And often we look for ways to want to make our faith easier, which most of the time means we want to try to start earning our way into heaven. And I don't know why that, that makes it easier. I think it's because often we feel like it's our responsibility to. It's on our shoulders. We need to be the ones to do it. But we need to stop looking at ourselves so much. And we need to start looking more at Jesus and saying, actually, Jesus is the one who's done everything. I can't do anything. I don't have it in my power. I was too weak. That's why he talks about the old self, putting that off, because we couldn't do it. Jesus already did it. And so now we're going to keep reading on, because that was Paul just saying, don't worry about that. Here's Jesus. And now we'll see where he actually addresses this philosophy. says this, therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person, such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And so now we get more clues into what this religious framework was doing. And they were telling people, actually, lots of these Jewish festivals, like the new moon celebrations, these, these um, big festivals, Sabbath days, you need to follow all of these and you need to do it, do it well. Otherwise, you're not... Christian and you don't belong in the family of God. And for us, we might say, well, you know, that doesn't have much applicability to us because we have no clue what any of those things are. But these are things that seem really good. And at, at one point, to the Jews, th those, these were really important. Actually, all of those things are in the Bible, and where God says, here's what you're going to do to worship me. But now, Paul is saying, don't let anyone judge you by that stuff, how you celebrate any of those, whether you celebrate any of those. Those aren't the important things. 
What's the important thing? The important thing is that you are connected to the head, and the head is Jesus. And if you're not connected to the head, no matter whether you celebrate new moon feasts or festivals or Sabbaths, none of that matters because you aren't connected to Jesus. You're not getting any of it. These, he was talking about people who were missing the whole point. And the whole point was that God wants a relationship with you. And if you're doing things just because that's the way they've always been done or because other people are doing them and tell you you should, or because you feel guilty and you say, oh, I need to do this or else God won't like me, then you will get nothing from it. That is just like you're held captive by religion. You're just thinking, I need to do all these things. That's not what God wants for you. Paul says those things are a shadow of what was to come, a shadow. It's like in, when you're watching a, an athlete who's in the tail end of their career and they were once the best, and now you watch them and it's like, man, they don't have that jump in their step. They don't quite hit shots the same way, and they're not quite as good. They're a shadow of their former self. And Paul's saying those things, those, those celebrations, those were a shadow of what was to come, of what God wants. And what God wants is for you to be connected to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament was leading up to Jesus, to saying, actually, this is preparing you for what you will have one day in a relationship with God. It's beautiful. And Paul's not saying that tradition is bad or that we shouldn't worship, or we shouldn't have festivals and feasts, and you shouldn't do the Sabbath. But he's saying, if you're not connected to the head, none of that matters. And these people who demand it, they definitely aren't connected to the head. I think people are very quick to call out others and to say, you don't worship God, you don't follow God the same way I do, therefore you must be doing something wrong. And we point fingers and we say, I'm going to call you out because I'm right, so you must be wrong because you do it differently than I. Like, I go on Twitter, and it's just a mess of Christians all yelling at each other, and they're saying, like, whoa, you wear that to church? That's, that's not allowed. You drink alcohol, or you don't drink alcohol? That's terrible. Maybe it's, like, spiritual gifts. You believe there are spiritual gifts? You don't believe there are spiritual gifts? You can't be a Christian. We're so quick to disqualify people and say, actually, you can't belong here because you believe this thing that it, it might be good if we had the same beliefs, but it's not necessarily that important because what's important is Christ and Jesus at the center. Like, take me for an example. I, I have read so many books on the Sabbath. I know the Sabbath is important, and I know doing it, like, it was made for me to help me. I am terrible at keeping the Sabbath. I maybe do it once a month. I'm very, like, I find it very difficult. But not once has Dave said to me, if you don't do this, you're not working at Church on the Rock anymore. No, because even though it's good, even though it's important, it's not essential. And can we get better at things? Yes. And that's why tradition is also important. But as soon as we tie tradition to our faith and to Jesus, then there's a disconnect. And we say, actually, now we're just performative. Now we're just trying to earn our salvation. And so the key here is that these, judger, these judges have lost their connection to Jesus, to the head that's guiding us. I'm sorry if you're vegetarian or vegan for this next 
metaphor, um, <laughs> which I realize that's like a scary thing to lead with. But I don't know if you've ever seen, I don't know if you've ever seen a video of when like they cut off a chicken's head and the chicken just runs around in circles on the lawn. That's what these people are like. It's like they, they started growing in faith and then suddenly they said, actually, I can do this outside of Jesus. And they're just running around hopelessly for a minute until they fall over dead. And that's a bit graphic. But <laughs> that's what it's like when we, when we try to live, live out our faith without Jesus at the center. It is hopeless. There's a reason Jesus was the only one who could pay for our sins. There's a reason we can't have life without Jesus. And it's because he did it all. And we don't need to. So tradition that does not point to Christ is meaningless. You should stop. Because if you're just doing things, if you're coming to the prayer summit tonight thinking, if I don't do this, God won't love me, I would rather you don't come to the prayer summit tonight and instead you, you pray at home. You talk to someone and you say, what do I actually, what do I need to, to fix, to connect again, to get back to the head that's Jesus? So I can go instead of um, obligation, I can go to the prayer summit out of love. So no matter what we do here at church, we need to do it for Jesus. We sing worship because of Jesus. We tithe because of Jesus. We pray, we serve, we feast. We do that all for Jesus. It's not about us. It's all about him. And we do this so we can connect to him and so we can grow. Remember, we can be rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing in him. And so now we'll, we'll go through our last section of the chapter. It says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom in their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. I think the key here is, he says, why do you submit to those rules? The rules that aren't coming from Jesus, the rules that are coming from the people around you, from the world. Why do you submit to those rules? What do you submit to? What do you listen to that's not actually from God? It might be from others. It might be things you've heard on the internet. It might even be from, from up front here. But I want to tell you, if it's not from Jesus, then it's not good. Throw it away in your mind. In this passage, they talk about physical things. And this was uh, a group back, back um, when Paul was writing this. They believed that actually anything physical was bad, but everything spiritual was good. And so you needed to abandon the physical and go all for the spiritual. But even Jesus talked against this. What did Jesus teach his disciples? He teaches them communion, where he says, I want you to break this bread. I want you to feel it ripping. I want you to taste this wine. That's my body and that's my blood. His example was physical. It's like the people who were saying this, they didn't know God. They weren't connected to the truth. And for us, we need to be connected to Jesus so that when people come around and try to tell us lies, that we will be protected from that. Again, think back to the dock and to the snake. Sometimes we think of our faith as this dock, where if you look from afar, it looks like just 
pieces of wood side by side, and nothing could get through that. But as you get closer, you might realize, actually, there are some breaks. And when there are some breaks, that's when a snake can come up. That's when lies can come up, and they can infiltrate. And we need to be really careful to avoid those snakes that can come up, those lies that can breach into our faith that aren't from Jesus. And so if we submit to anyone, we need to submit to Jesus. Nowadays, it could be things like, don't share your faith publicly. That's actually rude. We don't want to do that. That's a lie. That's not from Jesus. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and spread your faith. That's something our culture tells us. Don't share your faith. Or maybe it's people who say, actually, if you want to get to heaven, believe in Jesus and do these 10 things. That's also a lie. That's not from Jesus. You can have a relationship with Jesus right now by asking. It's super simple. Those are all lies that can sneak into our life. And so how do we combat these lies? We need to fill those gaps in our dock with truth. And what is truth? Truth is Jesus. We need to fill all the holes in our faith with Jesus and constantly. Because over time, just like a road, potholes can come up. And it's really dangerous when a pothole comes up and you leave it unaddressed because that can become a sinkhole really fast and without ever thinking. And so when those things come up, we need to actually fill our lives constantly with truth and be proactive about it. And so two easy ways to do this. The first is we need to be in Scripture daily, and not as a legalistic thing, saying, if you don't do this, God's not going to be happy with you. No, that's not what I'm saying. We need to be in Scripture because that is truth. That will fill us with life. That will give us Jesus. Everything we need to know about God is right here in this book. And if you don't have one, we can give one to you. Or you can go on Amazon. You can go to Indigo. They're very, very cheap. You can get them everywhere. We, most of you probably have like three in your house right now. We need to be in Scripture daily, feeding ourselves with truth. And we need to build a life of prayer. Because if we are reading the Bible but we're not praying, we're not talking to God, we're not communicating, then we're going in blind. We're just, we can take from this what, what we want. But it's when we pray and read together where we say, God, I need you to speak to me constantly. I want to be with you. That's the head. That's when the body is connected to the head is when we're saying, God, I, I need more of you. And I want you to give that. That's why spiritual disciplines, which we're going to be talking about in the fall, that's why they're really effective. And they're not everything. And they're not like a ladder that gets us into heaven. Like you fast once a week, you're set. That's not how they work. Actually, spiritual disciplines are tools that allow us to connect to Jesus. And that's why they're beautiful. And that's why God has given them to us. Because with them, we can hear God. We can know God. And that is the best gift that he's given us, is saying, I actually love you so much. I'm not only going to give you my word. I'm not going to tell you about me. I want you to have a, a one-on-one one -on -one communication with me all the time. So that's why we need to be in Scripture. We need to be praying. That will help us to dig roots deep. And then over time, that will help us to grow, to be bigger, to build muscle, to be strong. Our faith will get real meat. And then eventually, we'll get to a place where we can be overflowing and we can be spreading out 
and people will look at us and say, what a light that person is. There are people in this church who I look at and I say, I hope to be like that one day because they are so humble, but man, they spread the light of Jesus. And I'm sure you can look around and see those people right now. And all of our hopes should be, I don't want to be like them. I want to be like Jesus. Because I can tell you those people, they're not doing it for show. Most of them won't, won't say a thing. Lots of them don't like to be up here. Actually, lots of them are back in the prayer corner. And they, they just look up and they say, Jesus, I need more of you. And prayer is as much about changing us as it is about changing our situations. When we pray, it's saying, God, I need more of you. Whether we ask, whether we listen, it's just saying, God, speak to me. Remember that, that Shazam analogy? That's us on the inside saying, God, I want you to come out and I want you to show yourself in me and I want us to become one. And if we don't, we're going to be so separate. But I want to become one. And the last thing is, unlike calling people out, because remember, this framework was all about calling people out of here's what you need to do to get into heaven. I, I want us to not be people who quickly call, call others out. I want us to be people who we are calling others into the freedom that Christ offers. It's not often that you hear people um, talk very positively, um, unforced to people. But imagine we were a church that instead of saying, you know, Helen, you can't wear that to church. That's, God doesn't like that. Imagine I just went up and said, Helen, Jesus loves you. You have the fullness of Christ in you. Wow. How life-giving is that? Like, I, it's such a shame that we got to a point in, in the church where Jesus loves you almost became this, this thing that's just for children, and it's, it's elementary. That is the most important message we could ever share with people, and we can share it with each other. Jesus loves you. You have the fullness of Christ in you. That's how Paul combated this. He told people the gospel. You have the fullness of Christ in you. You are enough. And so, as you go away from here today, after we have time to worship, after you pray, after you can take communion, I want you to leave knowing you are full with Christ. You are enough. And he wants you to be rooted in him, to be built up and strengthened in his love, and then to be overflowing with the thankfulness and the joy that comes from the love of Jesus. Join me in prayer, please. In worship team, you can come up. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your great love for us. God, that even as we were sinners, when we didn't deserve it, that you died for us. You took our sin and you said, you don't need to bear this anymore. God, you lightened the load on us and you said, I will take it all. God, help us to believe that. Help us to internalize that and to know that you alone are our God. And God, I pray that if anyone um, tries to tell lies to the people in this room, that you would build up their faith and their strength and their knowledge and wisdom in you, and you would call those lies out for what they are, and that you would constantly take us back to your gospel, take us back to your love, Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us to be rooted in you, to be built up, and strengthened as a community. And then I pray that you would help us to be overflowing 
and so that we could touch those all around us in our lives. Lord, I thank you for your love and mercy. I pray all this in your holy name. Amen.